Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we talk anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Fantastic, Carlos. A little cold here in Toledo, Ohio, but uh, we're going to survive that. Hey, the uh, 2017 golf season officially got underway, even though this was the eighth tournament of the 2016-2017 wraparound season. Seven players have only earned over a million dollars in Hideki Matsuyama with two victories and two runner-ups, plus a T6 in his five starts. It's over $3 million for the year already. we got a lot to talk about tonight, Carlos. Justin Thomas seems to be the only guy on the planet that can beat Hideki right now. Tiger made a big announcement last week. And the love bug has bitten Sergio Garcia. Let's go. Yes, I have a lot to talk about that. But, hey, let's go. We're going to have uh, former player Kenny Knox as our, as our VAG, very important guest of the week. And we're going to be talking on our practice ranger topic of the week. We're going to talk about what does the news of increased TV ratings and new deal with Twitter means for the PGA Tour and golf, so you don't want to miss that. But we're going to start right away with the weekend backspin, and you mentioned it, there was the start of the calendar year. have to get used to that, the calendar year of the PGA Tour with a SBS Tournament of Champions where, like you said, it, apparent, it appears that Justin Thomas is the only guy that has Hideki Matsuyama's number. Yeah, they uh, they had four glorious days in Hawaii. I don't know if you got to watch any of it over the weekend, but uh, Justin Thomas got his third win on the PGA Tour. It was his first win on American soil. It was the second. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. It was the second time in the past couple of months that uh, Thomas has been able to beat the hottest player on the planet right now, Hideki Matsuyama. Thomas bested Hideki by three shots in the. CIMB Classic in Malaysia in October, and won again by three shots on Sunday in Hawaii. Even though he recorded a nasty double bogey seventh par 5 15th hole in the final round. He rebounded with birdies on number 17 and 18 to widen the margin of victory and secure the title. For Thomas, it is his second win of this season, leaving just a few FedEx Cup points behind Matsuyama. Although the 23-year-old Thomas won, the bigger story may be that Matsuyama lost in his last six starts around the world. Four wins, a couple runners-up, not too bad. He leads the FedEx Cup race, has already earned over $3 million, as I mentioned. The only thing left for the 24-year-old from Japan is to win a major. And with the Masters on the horizon, he has had some success in Augusta National in the past, so... It's not out of the question. With the media in Japan nearly as big as it is in the U.S., all of Japan is watching to see if Matsuyama can 
become the first Japanese-born player to win a major championship. That would be, it would be like Indy Park going back to South Korea after the Olympics. It would just be gigantic in Japan. The weather all week on Maui was perfect. Trade winds were manageable, and the scoring was low. With the elevated keys and firm fairways, Thomas had two drives over 400 yards. This from a guy who barely weighs 150 pounds. How does he develop that tremendous club head speed? It's, it's really amazing to watch. There was even a Jordan Speed sighting this week in Hawaii. Speed did not have his A game last week at Kapalua, but after a first round 72, posted 69-70, before his final round 65 moved him up 16 spots to finish T3 with Pat Perez and Ryan Moore. Spieth had the most birdies of anyone in the field of 26, and for the last 22 holes, he had 11 birdies and 11 pars. I would look out for Mr. Spieth this week at Wileye. Going to have a pretty good field, by the way, this week uh, at the uh, Sony Open there on the uh, on Oahu at the Wildlife Country Club. That's always fun to watch there. It's a lot tighter golf course. Uh, if he's moving the ball off the tee well, he should, he should do real well there. Spieth and Thomas grew up playing the junior golf against each other and are good friends. Spieth waited along with Jimmy Walker to congratulate Thomas as he walked off the 18th green. Walker, speaking of him, was in the mix through the first three rounds, but a final round, even par 73 on Sunday, dropped him down to T9. Carlos? Your guy Hideki didn't win this week, but he collected a runner-up and is looking very confident in every part of his game right now. He definitely looks that way. And I am predicting he's going to be number one this year, definitely. I mean, the way that he's playing, the confidence overall, that's what he really is taking him to his new heights. And, uh, wow, what a player. I mean, I can't wait to see what this year uh, is going to bring for him and battling with the top players, just like uh, Justin, Dustin Johnson, Roy McIlroy, Jordan Speed, you know, it's going to be incredible in Jason Day. But hey, let's uh, bring you all up to speed with what's going on in the European Tour because it has been off since early December when Sam Brazel birdied the 72, 72nd hole to beat the Rafa Cabrera Bello by one shot and win his first European Tour title at the UBS Hong Kong Open. You know, the Australian entered that week ranked 480 in the official World Golf Rankings ranking, but entered that final date at the Hong Kong Golf Club, tied at the top of the leaderboard alongside Ryder Cup start Cabrera Vege in just his 17th European Tour appearance, and he got his first victory. But the European Tour is back this week at Glen Tower Golf Club in Johannesburg for the BMW South African Open the world's second oldest national open after the Open Championship. The tournament began over 120 years ago in 1893, which is 33 years after the first ever Open Championship. South African Brandon Stone won his maiden European Tour title at this event last year and was very emotional in doing so. He posted a topsy-turvy final round of 171, which included six bogeys and seven birdies, to beat compatriot Christian Bezuijo by two strokes. The tournament has been part of the European Tour schedule since 1997, and since then, 13 out of the 20 winners have been South African. Ernie Wales won his fifth South African Open in 2010 at Durban Country Club, while Gary Player holds the record for most South African Open titles with 13, 
whilst Bobby Locke has nine and Ernie Els, who is competing in this week, has five. Thoughts will be definitely with 1988 and 1991 South African Open champion Wayne Westerner after the 55-year-old committed suicide last week. The headline news this week is that world number two, Roy McIlroy, makes his first start of this year in a tournament that he has only played twice before. The four-time major winner missed the cut in 2008 before a tie for third place in 2009. This event is co-sanctioned with the Sunshine Tour, and there will be an equal number of European and Sunshine Tour pros. Also in the field this week is... Uh, Sir Nick Faldo, who's making his first European Tour start since the 2014 Alfred Dunghill Links Championship. I will give you two names to watch this weekend. One, of course, is Rory McIlroy. You know, the world number two will be the overwhelming favorite for this uh, title this week. Uh, Rory makes his first start since the DP World Tour Championship in November, where he finished in a tie for ninth. The other name, Andy Sullivan. You know, Englishman won this title in 2015 at Glendower, and he's coming into this tournament with two top three finishes in his last four starts, so watch out for those two. But the European Tour will bring the big guns a week after that when Dustin Johnson will make his first appearance at the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship alongside reigning champion Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, Hendrik Stinson, and Danny Willard when the tournament begins on January 19th. The headlining pack will also be joined by Brendan Grace, Alex Noren, Thomas Peters, Martin Keimer, Lee Westwood, Tong Chai Jai Di, and Thomas Bjorn. Fred, the award-winning tournament which boasted the strongest field of the 2016 European Tour season outside of the four majors, have become renowned for delivering a world-class field year after year. Yeah, of course, it's summer down there. You know, guys like to go down there. Uh, and the way the schedule fits this year, it just makes a good place to start. So, But things are really going to happen starting next week as they move into the Middle East uh, with Abu Dhabi and Dubai. And uh, that's uh, that's when the European tour seems to really start getting going. Hey, Carlos, um, the Web.com tour began its 2017 campaign with the Bahamas Great Eczema Classic, which started on Sunday, and we'll have a Wednesday finish. This is uh, all part of the experiment with the PGA Tour and Golf Channel to provide live golf coverage every day of the week. Greg Norman designed the Sandals Emerald Bay course, and strong winds have made scoring difficult, to say the least. Not what the Bahamas wanted to portray on TV, I'm sure. The winds were so strong that the scoring average for the first round on Sunday, which finished up on Monday, was 80 points. 405. These are touring pros we're talking about here, not not your everyday hacks. Um, Lexi's brother, Nicholas Thompson, uh, leads by three shots. I uh, had it on earlier today. Uh, they're just finishing up the uh, third round. I don't think he got quite uh, done, quite halfway through, so they'll have to go out tomorrow morning, finish up the third round, and then play the fourth round, but he's got a three-shot lead, so Watching these guys struggle in the wind down there doesn't make me want to head for that part of the Bahamas anytime soon, Carlos. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, the Bahamas is just to go, relax, no golf. Beach. No golf. Oh, yeah, that's right. The beaches. Yeah, there you go. Beaches. Forget the golf. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> hey, with that, we'll wrap up our weekend backswing. We're going to take our short, uh, first short break. When we come back, we have the Power 5 news, and you don't want to miss them. We have a lot of information you want to know. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash edraftsports. Now, back to the show. Tiger's back at the top of Par 5 News this week, uh, which is kind of nice to have him back, actually. Um, he posted a 1,500-word, um, you know, I don't know, what do you want to call it, manuscript or whatever, to his blog on his website last week. Covered a myriad of topics from golf with Donald Trump to revealing his playing schedule for the next couple of months. But first thing we want to talk to you about, he talked about his switch to the Bridgetown golf ball. He said, Guys, uh, what people don't realize is that Bridgestone made the Nike golf ball for a number of years. It's a great ball, and making the switch wasn't that hard. So he was probably playing a Bridgestone all along. Woods also said he used the M2 Taylor-made driver ACM1 Fairway Woods as the Hero World Challenge and is still tinkering with various club combinations. The biggest news that Woods revealed was his intention to play four weeks out of five, beginning with the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines at the end of January. Then he heads to Dubai for the Omega Dubai Desert Classic and a big, fat appearance fee, I'm sure. He will take the next week off when the PGA Tour is at Pebble Beach and then turn to California for the Genesis Open at Riviera, an event that donates his proceeds to the Woods Foundation. Then he will also play the following week in the first event of the Florida Swing in his backyard at the Honda Classic. He will have the next week off again while the tour heads to Mexico for the WGC Mexico Championship unless he can somehow win or earn a bunch of cash between now and then. You know, this one should really give us a, a good look into where Tiger's at, what we might expect for him the rest of the year. Is he able to compete? Is his physical capability going to let him travel the world and play golf at the highest level? I think this is a very aggressive schedule for him, Carlos. Uh, four, four tournaments out of five weeks uh, coming up here starting at the end of the month. Uh, that's going to be really good to watch, and, and uh, that's going to tell us a lot. I, I think we're going to find out a lot by the end of that. Oh, totally agree. It's, uh, four, four tournaments in five weeks. He must definitely feel very good. That's the that's the first thing that you you have to say when you when you look at this because otherwise he would not risk uh, injury uh, so quick early in the season. Or either he wants to make sure that he's ready to go, or he really is, and we're up to see 
definitely what we have been expecting from him, and hopefully we just uh, we just didn't expect this. We didn't expect to see this, Carlos. I, you know, we thought maybe back-to-back tournaments, you know, a couple times mm-hmm. here in the first right. couple months, but not not four events in five weeks. That's plus flying halfway around the world for one of them. So, and he's moving from California to Florida on that last one. So, um, it, it's just it's very aggressive. I, I I'm imp- I was impressed when he when he came out with that. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, he definitely has to feel good. That's the first thing. He has to feel good, and that can only be, uh, mean good things for, for golfing. Now it's just to see if he really has the game to back it up in those four weeks. He'll definitely get up to speed after that. Hey, but let me talk about somebody that has been linked to him in his career because of, of a rivalry that started back in the late 1990s, and that's none other than my man, Sergio Garcia. He has been so familiar with you the expression. Dump, you dump Sergio. Your guy's at Decky now. You dump Sergio. He's still one of my guys. You know, we have uh, a good okay. group. It's, it's just that Hideki's at the top now. He's the top okay. guy. Okay. Sergio's right. still my guy. You know? And let me tell you, he's been so familiar with the expression narrowly missing. And he did narrowly miss on settling down with his previous longtime girlfriend, Katharina Bohm. You know, you might remember back in 2014, the, re- the rumors regarding the engagement of Garcia and Bohm were just floating in the media to the courtesy of Diamond Ring and Bohm's left ring finger before coming to an abrupt end. Katharina, who's of German native, was an excellent golfer herself during her college days at the College of Charleston with a remarkable stroke average of 7703 and was credited for assisting as his caddy during Garcia's successful resurgence of 2014. Time, however, never came as they broke up eventually in 2014 with the rehiring of Neil Wallace as a caddy. When asked about the reasons at the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship, he replied with an awkward humor back then, and he said, and I quote, I wanted to keep going, but she fired me. I was something she wanted to do since we started dating, and I thought that it would be a good week, begin the end of the year, and maybe a little bit more relaxed, end of quote. And Garcia then instantly moved on through the medium of the new girl in his life. The golfing world must be familiar with this beautiful face of Angela Akins hosting and reporting news through the Golf Channel. This is the very girl who Garcia happens to be dating at the moment. Like his ex, Bowen, Aikens, too, was an avid golfer during her days in TCU, where she clinched an academic All-Big 12 first-team selection in the 2007-2008 season. The 31-year-old Aikens used to be Angela Aikens Hammond from her previous marriage before her affair with Garcia. Aikens joined Golf Channel in 2015 as a reporter and interviewer back when her last name was Hammond. She was also a post-round interviewer at PBGA Tour events, likely how she met Garcia. The relation is pretty evident through social media, where Garcia is often found addressing her as my girl, along with numbers of photographs where they are clicked together. So it was fitting that Sergio took it to Twitter last Friday to announce that he and Akins will wed sometimes this year. Well, Fred, 
they do seem like they will be taking this relation all the way. And I will be praying that Sergio will avoid another choke. No, I mean another narrow miss. But really, Sergio, <laughs> best wishes to you. And in Spanish, I say to you, que sean muy felices. <laughs> well, you know, the love bug, what can I tell you? You know, there you go. There's somebody out there for everybody. That's, that's what they say, Carlos. Hey, um, Forbes is reporting that NBC tops CBS for the first time ever in golf coverage. Golf Channel and NBC enjoyed record-setting golf ratings in 2016, thanks in part to the Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson battle at the British Open, a U.S. Ryder Cup, one on home soil that garnered huge attention, and the golf's return to the Olympics. NBC's golf coverage last year topped CBS first time since 2013 with 71 million unique viewers, representing 27% increase from 2015. It goes to show the difference a few high-profile tournaments can make. CBS drew 63 million viewers for its 2016 golf coverage, which included the Masters and the PGA Championship, and then Fox had, they came in a, 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 a far, far back and third with 34 million viewers. And, that, and I think most of those people that watch turned the sound off. They just watched the, uh, they didn't want to listen to those guys talk. Um, most sports networks, uh, you know, they saw declines last year. But Golf Channel viewership rose 8% over a year ago. NBC Sports Network saw 14% audience increase. Golf Channel matches highest rated year ever, tying numbers from back in 2013 when Tiger Woods won five events. So, as we've been reporting, the PGA Tour has been looking at all venues of televising and live streaming of its events as golf fans seem to want more golf coverage. The tour also announced a deal with Twitter to help grow its PGA Tour live stream. Now, do they have to do that in 140 characters? I'm not sure how that works. Uh, Twitter will begin live streaming at the Career Bureau Challenge on January 19th and conclude at the season-ending tour championship. Coverage typically will include the first 60 to 90 minutes from early Thursday and Friday morning hours of the PGA Tour um, so it's you know it's an early round coverage. It's probably nothing real exciting unless somebody happens to get hot. But if you're a real uh, PGA Tour golf junkie and you want more stuff, uh, you're going to be able to get it through PGA Tour Live uh, with Twitter. Um, now, unless you're a subscriber of a major cable network, the service is going to cost you about forty bucks a year. Um, Rick Anderson, chief media officer of the PGA Tour, said. Twitter and the PGA Tour have been working together on Twitter Amplify for many years, and the program has been a tremendous success for both companies. Streaming PGA Tour Live programming to Twitter's global audience, as well as the millions of users who follow at PGA Tour and hundreds of PGA Tour player accounts, will provide new and innovative ways for sports fans to engage with our premium offerings. The PGA Tour continues to transform the experience for fans on Twitter, a place where golf conversation is happening live in real time every day. So, Carlos, 
this is another example of the types of different broadcasting methods golf tours will be experimenting with over the next few years as more and more Americans leave their cable companies and seek alternative viewing opportunities. One that was asked about that was uh, new PGA Tour Commissioner uh, Jay Monahan. Let me tell you, he's just only one week into his new position as the commissioner of the PGA Tour, and there's much work to do. He's a lifelong player who learned so many lessons through his game, and he said that he's humbled by the opportunity and excited about the road ahead. He did that in an interview that he had with the media this past Saturday at the SBS Tournament of Champions. Monahan is 46, and he has filled various roles within the tour since moving to Florida to run the Players' Championship in 2008. He has a singular big-picture focus as he gets underway in his first year in office, and he has it very clear. He says that it's to make Mr. Arnold Palmer proud. Monaghan covered a variety of topics on that early Saturday morning at Capalua Resort. Uh, he talked about, in no particular order, tour scheduling, addressing the potential of getting the playoffs done by the NFL season, uh, his players and their wishes, his plan to lean on former Commissioner Tim Fincham as a counsel, the importance of speed in an ever-changing media world, the tour's leadership role in growing the game, and most importantly, serving the PGA Tour fan, reaching both the traditional one and the newcomer. I like that. He looks forward to the spike of that return of a healthy Tiger Woods will bring, and is convinced that Woods will win again. He believes having an elite golfer in the White House will be awesome. Pretty much the only topic Monaghan would not dwell into was the possibility that the tour might one day soon have its own television network. He said, I don't think it's fair to talk about what might be. <laughs> Appointed deputy commissioner in 2014, Monaghan was hand-groomed by Fincham the last two-plus years to one day succeed him. He said the tour will continue to evolve in order to reach its fans across several platforms, not only domestically, but around the globe. Schedule-wise, Monaghan said it's likely that the tour will go to three playoff events from four, though any shift in the schedule involves many moving parts. There has been speculation that the players could be moved from May back to its old March slot, and the PGA Championship now golf's final major season possibly could move to May. Monaghan cannot simply wave a wind and make all the changes he'd hoped to see come to fruition. The PGA, for instance, has the final say in when it will play its championship. Monaghan said he wants to make sure all parties, including TV partners, are involved in the decision-making process on scheduling. Monaghan and PGA of America CEO Pete Aqua have had some preliminary discussions about the PGA moving dates, which it did last summer to accommodate golf's return to the Olympics. Monaghan said that the tour likes the opening New Year in Hawaii for two weeks, the tournament champions and Sony Open, and it's trying to lure new sponsor to Kapalua, as we see will be picking on the tap through 2019, and also has an interest in returning an event to Miami again. Doral, which is now Trump Doral, had hosted a PGA Tour event from 1962 through the WGC Cadillac Championship last March. This year, as you all know, the WGC event will be staged in Mexico. 
As somebody who previously focused on selling chair sponsorships, Monaghan called a shakeout resulting in the tour departing Tom Doral as disappointing and said, hey, if I would have found the sponsor, it would be there. Mm, okay. As for the SBS Tournament of Champions, Monaghan had an extensive interview with Rich Lerner in which he said that they've been in talks with Michael Mann and the LPGA about the possibility of adding the LPGA winners to the tournament. You know, out of the top of my mind, there are a ton of things to go through about how to do that and how exciting could that be. So it would be really neat, and it would kick up the tournament a big notch if that would happen. So we have to be uh, monitoring that part. But as far as the schedule goes, as with everything else, it will take some time. Every segment of the business has with with it a subset of challenges. Uh, Finchem had more than two decades to get things done. And Monaghan, he will have his time too. There's only so much earth one man can move in five days. Fred, the bottom line is, if Monaghan, who has boundless energy, can get to December 31st and see some of his biggest challenges met, he'll have fulfilled the goal of making the late Mr. Palmer proud. The BGA Tour will be better, and as Monaghan notes, the game will be better. Well, he's going to stay on his toes, Carlos, because Tim Fincham has left uh, him with some pretty big shoes to fill. Uh, Fincham really did a fantastic job. He took his lumps like any other uh, high-profile manager would in that position, but overall, uh, his rating, you know, over the 20 years of his career, uh, you have to rate him about an A-plus for total body of work. Uh, A couple things in there, um, it's kind of being kicked around that the – you know how we've always talked that it seems like the Tournament of Champions kind of opens the season or begins the year for the PGA Tour with kind of a, you know, it's just, it's nice, but it's, you know, not that big a deal kind of thing. Um, it's kicked, been kicked around a little bit that the PGA and the LPGA are going to, are going to pair up, going to team up. This is going to be one of their joint events in the future. And they'll bring in, the LPGA is going to bring in their winners. So you'll have an LPGA Tour of Champions and a PGA Tour uh, uh, Tournament of Champions all at the, all at the same time. That would be kind of cool. Uh, I would like that. I, I think that I think that has some merit. I like to see that, and that works because both have limited fields. Both would only have about you know 30 players, so you only have 60, 70 players at the most. Um, so you know, short daylight works. The, the whole thing works. So I, I like that idea. Another thing you were talking about there, and they, they've been kicking this around, and, you know, with the Olympics this year, they talked about moving the PGA to May. Um, I think that has merit, too, because, again, the PGA gets stuck in between the FedEx Cup playoffs, the Open Championship, after the WGC Bridgestone. It just, it, it just doesn't get its, its due. And in May, it would, it would get, it would be, you know, the, the, the princess at, at, the, at, the, at the ball. It would it would get its time, and and I like that. I I I think that would make the PGA a lot bigger deal. That would end the major season with the Open Championship, which is going to get a lot of notice anyhow because it's such a worldwide event. So I, I like that. I, I in concept that sounds good. And then you talked about uh, Monahan talking about returning to Doral. Uh, I read that bit uh, that you that you talked about there. He did some really good double speak in that. He. Uh, he did not want to address that issue whatsoever. So 
if he can find a sponsor and yeah, all that, yeah, yeah, yada, yada, yada. And the, it's great to have a president elect who's a great golfer. That can only be good things for golf, and, you know, that, that should be great. Hey, Carlos, we're going to end up, uh, we're going to close out the Par 5 News tonight with a story. I This is something I'm really excited about. Beer, beef, and birdies. <laughs> I like this. I You know, throw in a few Hooters girls. Now we've got a tournament. Let's let's go. You know, this is a golf tournament we can get behind. Keith Pelly may want to even consider this idea for his next big thing for the European tour. I'm surprised he didn't come up with this actually. Beer, <laughs> beef, and birdies. I I love that. Andrew Johnson, Andrew Beef Johnson, has taken the golf world by storm over the past year, and we will see him full time on the PGA Tour this year as he qualified with a tour card last fall, the final series on the web.com tour. Beef Johnson, as is known, is an outgoing, fun-loving meat eater that does not take himself or his golf game too seriously, but plays at a very high level all the same. He's become somewhat of a cult figure and even parlayed his love of beef into an endorsement deal with Arby's. We have the meat. Well, Australian golfer, Stephen Bowditch came up with a unique idea and has challenged Andrew B. Johnson to pick a partner for a beer, beef, and birdies competition to benefit charity featuring copious amounts of food, plenty of liquid libation, and a little golf. He's considered his choices, Roy McElroy, Bubba Watson, Jordan Spieth, and, oh, what about John Daly? Oh, yeah, John Daly, he's the choice. He's been known to hold his own off the golf course in the past. He likes a good cheeseburger. Well, Bowditch has not named his partner as yet, but this could be fun. This would make a great event after the season, uh, heading as we head into the holidays. I love this idea, Carlos. Let's bring it on. Let's 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 find out about. I want I want more. <laughs> and especially with under beef. Beer, beer and beef and golf. You just can't go wrong with that. That three point B and and teaming up with John Daly. Oh, no, no, no. That that's a show. John, John's got to hook up with the Hooters girls. He's, you know, he still he can get the Hooters girls there. We got it. That's a deal, man. That's a good deal. It's gonna it's gonna be a record break. That that that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> It's hey, a new major. It's the fifth major. The fifth? <laughs> the sixth figure. <laughs> oh, the players are fab. Sorry. Yes. Well, with that, we'll wrap up the Par 5 News. We're going to take one short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about that Twitter thing in PGA Tour, so don't go away. Don't, we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back. And now it's time for the practice range where every week Fred and I pick a topic. Each of us take our own shots at it, and this week, 
you were friend, you talked about it, you reported it. You know, uh, Twitter continues to amp up its live streaming ambitions in the sports world. The social media company announced on Thursday that it will be streaming more than 70 hours of live competition from 31 PGA Tour tournaments in 2017. So, you know, now all fans can use Twitter to stream early coverage of each tournament, starting with the career builder next week and ending with the Tour Championship in September. Fred, that feed will come from the first 60 to 90 minutes of PGA Tour's live coverage, which includes pre-round analysis, interviews, and range coverage. So uh, Twitter keeps expanding. They had a ton of success with the live streaming of uh, NFL games, which went incredibly well, although there's no word on deal for next season. So the question is, and I lay it out to you so you can take the first track at it, you know, what does this news of increased TV ratings and new video with Twitter mean for the PGA Tour and golf itself? Well, it means that the sports leagues and golf tours are looking for any alternative to get their product out there because live streaming, Internet, has become so important. As we reported earlier in the show and, and talked about at some length over the last couple months of, the, of 2016, the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour, as well as the European Tour, are burning the midnight oil trying to figure out the best combination of live streaming and network television coverage to maximize audience and revenues. Yes, they want the big buck from the advertising per minute on network television, but the trend in the country is to cut the cable and buy only the television programs that each viewer wants to receive. They don't need 300 channels of crap. They don't want to see, and if they have to pay over $100 a month for the stuff, they'll say, Thanks, but no thanks. That leaves the golf tours to try to decide how best to reach the masses and still maintain an income from their broadcasts. If no one watches on network TV, the advertisers will not pay the huge rates and income for the network suffers, and they won't pay the tour the high rights fees they have seen in the past. With television contracts coming due in the next few years, the tours are actively working to come up with a plan that will work for everyone. In this deal that we're talking about here with Twitter, they're actually adding more and more coverage. You know, PGA Tour Live does a lot of that. They'll feature a couple of holes. They'll feature a couple of groups that you can log on and watch uh, before it comes on on network TV. And so that's what they're working on. They're, they're giving more coverage, which gives a chance to maybe sell a little bit more ad space. But working with Twitter to develop a better live streaming product with PGA Tour is just one such of these options. Remember, every sports network except Golf Channel and NBC had declining revenues in 2016. They, NBC I'm talking about, and Golf Channel, happened to have the best of the best last year with the Open, the Olympics, and the Ryder Cup. They had the three biggest events last year other than the Masters. Will NBC see these types of numbers next year or this, this coming year, 2017? I really doubt it. Um, they it just, you know, it's kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of deal that they hit it with the Olympics, um, you know, the Phil Mickelson, Henrik Stenson thing, uh, and then that big Ryder Cup. 
So um, that's not going to happen every year. All three things are not going to fall like that. So that really uh, propagated a great year for them. Um, so, you know, and, and as much as we need to talk about it, you know, the, the Dustin Johnson flap at the U.S. Open with the USGA rules uh, problems, and then the, the, US, the women had the same thing at the U.S. Women's Open. Um, so that helped to draw attention to golf last, last year a little bit. It's kind of like watching NASCAR for the wrecks, you know. Uh, the USGA thing was definitely a big wreck. But, um, Carlos, you know, they just keep looking for new and better ways to get their product out there so more people can see it and they can sell more advertising time and they get those right fees from from the networks. And and those contracts are coming up again in 2021, I think in 2019. So they're really, really working to, uh, to make those things work. Turn your mute off, Carlos. Are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I was, no, I wasn't mute. I, I was okay. trying to get something here going on. No, but I, I, I totally agree in some part because uh, we've been talking about this for, for a couple of months now, and uh, all, all tours and all sports are looking for uh, different ways to stream their their games. It's everything's get, getting mobile as well. You know, the speeds and the and the capacity of the f- smartphones are getting bigger and better each and every year that passes by. And, and you know, I remember when the NFL inked the deal to let Twitter stream uh, 10 Thursday night football games this season, and uh, they also have now streaming live streaming deals with leagues like the NBA and MLB. Uh, which streams one game per week on Twitter this year. Um, they're also looking at other non-sports-related content, and uh, they have deals with uh, media giants like Bloomberg and CBS. And uh, you know, they are now going to also stream the Golden Globes red carpet pre-show. So everything is moving towards a mobile uh, platform, digital platform. Let's put it that way to to just simplify it. And the PGA Tour and golf really cannot stay behind on it. I do understand, and also I, I would like to add that also uh, Jordan Spieth uh, collapsed in the Masters. Uh, until then, everybody was expecting him to win, uh, and then Danny Willard came on to win. But that, that was another part that really drew a lot of uh, attention towards it. So, like you mentioned, yes, I, I think it was a different, uh, a one-of-a-kind year for the for golf and. and and that help and the TV ratings, but also just like Jay Monahan was saying, Tiger Woods is back, and uh, that's the guy that's driving, uh, that's moving the needle all the time. So if he is in contention, those ratings are going to be back up. And uh, with this new ways of streaming uh, media uh, digitally, I am looking forward to see what's going to happen, especially with Tiger being back now. And, and you know, Hideki's back up on now, and we know that Rory is back on top of his game. Jason Day is at the, uh, the top of his game as well. Dustin Johnson. Uh, I know that golf is going to be big time this year, and I, I, I can't wait to see. But, yes, to me, it'll result in much better coverage because – Anyone with a, with a phone can report on anything, and anywhere you are, you can just get to see it. Uh, that would be good to see how the ratings are going to be now handled with all this new media. First. 
Yeah, I, you know, and I have to say, Carlos, I mean, even an old guy like me, I mean, I, you know, I use my tablet, I use my phone to uh, to stream some golf tournaments. I, I watch some basketball tournaments, uh, college basketball sometimes on it. If I'm traveling, uh, you know, if I've got some time to kill or whatever, I'll, I'll pull it up and, and watch a little bit of it from time to time. So um, if an old guy like me can do it, I'm sure everybody in the world is doing it. Um, and and they, they have to take advantage of it. They have to use it. They have to be in place. And, you know, he, you know, Monaghan didn't come out and talk, say, you know, they're going to have their own network. But you know, you just know this is another step. This is another way. They're, they're going to end up with a PGA Tour network. I mean, it's, it's got to happen. Or else a golf channel, PGA Tour combination, something. I, I think it's just got to happen sometimes. It has to be. It has to be. He, he, that was the only subject that he danced around. And when you see somebody that it's all so open to talk about so many other things, and then you just dance around that, you know that something's going on there in the back, in the back burner there for the PGA Tour. It just has to be. It just has to be. Fred, any other thing you would like to add about this uh, subject before we move on to our PAG? No, I think we covered it. You know, it's kind of a continuing story. I'm sure we're going to be keep reporting mm-hmm. on it. We, we started talking about it last, uh, late last summer. We talked about it several times last fall. And, and uh, you know, this news just keeps coming and it keeps building, keeps adding. It's like a snowball. Uh, I'm sure we're going to keep talking about it. And uh, I think it's going to be one of the re- recurring stories that we're going to discuss all year long, Carlos. Even I, you know what? Even the Batman report is getting on the digital media as well. So everybody's on. You got it. You got it. We're there. Remember, we're we're on the, the Batman report in our field. The Batman <laughs> report is now on Roku. So you know we're gonna get bigger than that. Everybody's getting into the angle. We're hey, looking at the numbers today too, Carlos. People are people are starting to watch it a little bit. They're 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 watching a little bit. So yeah, so it's getting out there. Yeah. I, you know, stay tuned, yeah. people. Stay tuned. We're gonna get a lot of big things for you this year. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. With that, we'll wrap up our practice range. We're gonna take our last short break. When we come back, we have our VIG, very important guest of the week. Don't go away. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraft Sports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraftSports. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for our B.I.G., very important guest of the week segment. This week, former PGA Tour player and three-time winner, Kenny Knox, who was known for his superior potting ability, drops by to talk about the tour and what he's doing these days. I believe he's also active in golf course design and construction. So, uh, Fred, tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear from your interview with Kenny. Well, Kenny Knox spent 16 years on the PGA Tour, and he's played on the Champions and the Web.com Tours as well. He earned a total of $1.7 million in his career. He was unlucky enough to end his playing career just as Tiger Woods came on the Tour, and purses skyrocketed. 
He is staying busy day to day doing what he loves, teaching the game, especially to juniors, and designing and marketing his wedges and putters. So um, just had an interesting chat with him. Uh, he's a cool guy to talk to, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy the interview, Carl. Let's play it. Here he is, King Knox, the Lord. We are happy to have as our guest on Back Nine Report today, Kenny Knox, who is a former PGA Tour professional, played in 54 Web.com Tour events, 42 Champions Tour events, and 378 starts on the PGA Tour in a 36-year career. He racked up three PGA Tour wins, earned over $1.7 million in 16 seasons, and was known as one of the best putters on tour. He's now involved in teaching and equipment design, and Mr. Kenny Knox, we are certainly happy to have you on the Back Nine Report. Welcome, sir. Well, thanks a lot, Fred. I'm glad to be with you today. Your playing career on the PGA Tour was kind of wrapping up in the mid-'90s, about the time that uh, Tim Finchon became commissioner, and a young guy by the name of Tiger Woods joined the tour. With, with what's happened over the last uh, 20-some years, what are maybe some of the biggest changes that you've witnessed? Well, there's you know no question with uh, with Tiger Woods coming out on tour, the money changed tremendously. Obviously, there's guys now that make in one tournament where I made in my entire career. So it's a uh, and I had a pretty good career. Uh, but I tell people, you know, I won three times. I played in the Masters five times. I was in the top 75 on the money list six years in a row. And only made one point six million dollars. The guys today can win one tournament and, and win that much money. So, and, and you know that's thanks to Tiger's Woods, and also Tim Fincham did a great job promoting and and negotiating with the networks to get the contracts up there, and and uh, more power to them. And I'm I'm happy that the tour is, is as healthy as it is, and as many people have uh, made, you know found found their gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, it is quite a bit different. Uh, as you mentioned, when you play the tour, tour purses average around a million dollars. You know, there's six to ten times that now, $10 million for the players and the PGA and, and the majors. In 1987, you won the Hardy's Classic, the first place check. You remember what that was worth, the first place check in 1987? Oh, I re- yeah, I remember all my first place checks. <laughs> it was, uh, ni- it was, it was $90,000 first place in that tournament. When I won the Honda the year before, it was 90000 And when I won the uh, Buick uh, Southern, it was 106000 Yeah, exactly. Well, in the 87, you made 23 cuts. You had three other top tens and nine top 25 finishes, and you won a grand total of 200000 for the whole year. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that, that is amazing. Well, 86, I think, was my best year on the money list. I, I I made, I think, $260,000 and finished 24th on the money list that year. And my best financial year was 91, uh, where I finished 32nd on the money list and made like $430,000, I think. You know, on the other side of that too, Kenny, you didn't have the endorsement opportunities that the guys have today either, did you? Well, you know, it wasn't that bad, actually. Uh, But no, to answer your question, no, there was not near the money involved in it. But what our, you know, the rule of thumb was you could you could double up uh, what you make on the tour in endorsements. I I was fortunate enough to be with some nice companies, and, and I made a little bit, but it wasn't near what it is today, obviously. And you know, the guys that are making 
the million dollars contracts, and, and they've been doing that for a while now. And I, I think it's good. It's good for the game. And But they changed directions in the way they paid endorsements. Uh, once they started play, uh, paying the, the big top guys the bulk of the money, it used to be they would spread it out quite a bit. But then they started paying the, the number one guys all the money, so they didn't have much left over for, for the rest of the guys. One of the facts that doesn't get a lot of coverage but for guys like you, it became an important thing, um, is what Tim Fincham uh, helped build the retirement fund for pros that, that met the retirement vesting requirements and, and uh, then retired and were able to get an income from that. Um, as an ex-tour pro, uh, what, what is your take on that? What, what's your feeling? What have you seen? Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Well, actually, that was implemented. I remember having the first meeting about the retirement plan up at Westchester in New York, and that was in the early early 80s. Uh, so it, it's been around quite a while. Uh, it was a great plan. There's guys, they had to work with guys in Congress to make sure that it was uh, not for nonprofit and things of that nature and that, that money would go into the plan. And I remember, you know, you have to make a cut to, to get a pension point. And I remember originally that I think the first, points were worth about $1,200. I don't even know what they're worth now, but before I left, they got up to about $2,500 per point you made, and you could play in 30 tournaments and make a pretty good, pretty good chunk of change, you know, if you made 30 cuts, Uh, but but then it would grow, obviously, over the years. Now, when I went to the Champions Tour, things had changed dramatically. For every time you finish in the top 48 on the Champions Tour, you would get a pension point, and the points were worth about seven thousand dollars every time you got a point. Wow! Wow! Now on the thir- on the thirteenth point you made, it would double. So all of a sudden, it went to fourteen thousand dollars for. So a guy like Jay Haas and Tom Kite, who were making between twenty and twenty-five points uh, a year, they were making somewhere you know around a quarter of a million dollars a year in uh, in in pension uh, and that would grow over the time. So it really dramatically changed, thanks again to the contracts negotiated by Tim Fincham and thanks again to Tiger Woods and the impact that he made on the game. But originally the retirement plan was started back in the early 80s. Uh, fortunately, I came in at the right time and made a bunch of cuts. Now, Fred, you had to make at least 150 cuts to be fully vested. Right. There's a guy named uh, Jim Hallett, who I actually beat in a playoff right. in, right. in uh, 1990. He made 149 cuts, yeah. and unfortunately, he was never fully vested. I feel bad for the guy because I actually I beat him in the playoff, which I'll never feel bad about that, but that would have given him also uh, full retirement. So it, it, that just shows you what a fine line that we walked out there and, and how important each cut was. You are still very involved with the game. Uh, I know you have a lot of different things going on. Now, tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and what you're involved in. Well, I am. I've always tried to stay in the game. Even when and when I left the tour, I, I started a, uh, a golf academy in Tallahassee, Florida, and I spread out a little bit and did that. So I've been teaching for quite a while. Then I got into greens turf business, so I did that for about six or eight years where I would put synthetic turf greens. Uh, I've always enjoyed construction. I come from a, a family of contractors and construction workers, so I've always enjoyed that, so I don't mind getting my hands dirty. So I kind of made a little impact in that business. I, I built several uh, executive golf courses in Georgia and North Carolina, and I did a, 
I can't tell you how many greens I did in people's backyards and at apartment complexes. So that was a good business for me. I sold that business when I got ready to go on the Champions Tour. So I played the Champions Tour a couple years, played uh, about 40 golf tournaments on the Champions Tour, and didn't make enough money to stay out there and, and wasn't able to – didn't really think it was worth it to, to go beat my head against the wall and try to Monday qualify every week. So I got back into the teaching business, and which I really enjoy, especially the youth, and started a putter company, uh, Putters and Wedges, and and got got into that and really have enjoyed that tremendously. So I'm kind of a – I don't know if there's any other teachers in the country that actually own their own golf companies, but uh, I actually have a putter and a wedge company, and I teach. So it really is a natural since, uh, fortunately, I had – you know, all the putting records on the PGA Tour for 20 years or so. And so it works hand-in-hand with the credibility that I had on the tour with my putting ability and my chipping ability. And so I've really enjoyed going to different golf courses and doing demo days and, and being able to fit people to the proper uh, length and lie angles and, and also the putter that they should be using that allows them, to, you know, a better chance to make the putt. If you want more information on what Kenny's doing today, uh, some of his group lessons, group teaching, or where he's going to be, you can log on to KennyKnoxGolf.com. Get a hold of Kenny. There's a contact button there. Uh, send him an email and find out where he's going to be. And you might want to see him, uh, get some group lessons, get a fitting, go to one of the demo days, and, and uh, maybe improve your game a little bit. Any other better way to get a hold of you, Kenny, than that? All my information is there on the website, thekittyknockgolf.com. You can, you can, uh, my number's on there, my address is on there, everything's there. Uh, obviously, the Gmail address, kennyknoxgolf at gmail.com is probably the best way to get in touch with me. So it's kennyknoxgolf at gmail.com. Fred, I've also, uh, I'm headed down to see Jack Nicholas again uh, this next week. I got him into one of my putters. He used it in a father's son. He loves the putter. And so I'm going to be doing a demo day there at the Bears Club uh, on the 14th, next uh, Saturday. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, there's a guy that knows a little bit about putting. You can, <laughs> you can help Jack out a little bit. <laughs> Before I let you go, uh, you obviously were out there on tour uh, for a long time. You saw a lot of different stuff. If you got a caddy story or a story about another player or something funny that maybe happened to you or on the golf course or somebody else that you just uh, – that you thought was, a, was kind of a funny thing you might be able to relate for us. She meant, we're talking about Jack just for a minute. I, I, I'll tell you a story about Jack while we're at it. And I, I, had, I reminded him of this story the other day where we were together, and he just chuckled. We were playing, uh, I was standing on the first tee in 1982 at Pebble Beach, uh, getting ready for my practice round at the U.S. Open. You know, I had signed up for that time, and I was standing there waiting for the group ahead to get out of the way so I could hit my tee shot, and I look back, and I see the crowd moving towards me. Out of the co- crowd comes uh, Jack Nicholas and Tom Weisskopf. And now they came up, and they looked at the tee sheet, and they saw my name, and I didn't know either one of them at the time. Jack looked at me and says, Kenny, how you doing? Do you mind if we join you? And so that was one of the greatest rounds of golf I ever played, but I'll just skip forward all the, all the stuff because I know we're limited on time. But we got over the 18th tee, and we were just practicing the first 17 holes. And went over the 18th tee, and Jack hit first. He'd been hit, hit last all day, and he he took it right down the left side over the rocks and cut it back to the fairway, and the ball got out there. And Weisskopf, you know how competitive they were. 
Weisskopf looked at me and says, did you hit that one, Jack? And he says, well, you can't catch it. And all of a sudden, you can see a, a, a little fire got lit between the two of them. Tom hits his drive out. They're really good. And they're walking off the tee, and Tom says, hey, Jack, how about we play for something in this hole? And Jack says, well, sure, let's do that. He says, what do you want to play for? He says, well, why don't we just play for dinner at the British Open next month? And Tom goes, oh, that's great, that's great. And then about a moment later, he says, now, Jack, is that just me and you, or is that you and Barb and all the kids? <laughs> and Jack looked at him with those silly blue eyes and said, that's everybody. And so I said, oh, boy, game on. I'm here a spectator, you know, playing one of the greatest two players in the world. So here I am watching. So we got out there. Sure enough, Jack had outdriven Tom. Tom hit first, and uh, two hopped it up there in the front bunker on 18 at Pebble. And then Jack got up and pulled that, that famous one iron out cut it right in there, just perfect. One hopped it up on the green, ran it up on the green about 20 feet from the hole. And so here we go, walk up there, and Tom gets in there and splashes it out, uh, checks it up around the hole about eight feet past the hole. It's Jack's turn to putt, and he gets in there, boy, I'm standing about five feet from him, just watching every move he makes. You know, they say, he said that he never hit a shot until he was ready. It seemed like he stood over that ball 30 seconds before he pulled the trigger. When he did pull the trigger, the ball, uh, I remember breaking a little bit left to right and went center cut, went up in there and came right down the hole. He raised his putter in, in victory. And about a, the, the funniest part of the whole story was about a month later, I was reading the Tallahassee Democrat, and I read a little sidebar over there. It says, Tom Weisskopf treats Nicholas and family to dinner at British Open. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, yeah, I'm the only guy. I'm the only guy that knew what happened in that story. So it was a great story. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, Kenny, again, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, if you uh, want to get more information on what Kenny's doing today, KennyKnoxGolf.com. Uh, check it out. He's traveling around the country giving lessons. He's got equipment. One of the best putters that ever was on the PGA Tour. He can teach you maybe a little thing about putting. So, Kenny, again, thanks a lot, buddy. It's always my pleasure, Fred. Thanks for having me. There you have it. That was Kenny Knox, former PGA Tour player, three-time winner, and definitely, like you mentioned, Fred, one of the best putters ever. He had a lot of putting records for a long time, and now he has that uh, direct aim fitting system and transformer putters by his Knox Golf Company. And like you said, KennyDoxGolf.com. You can find him there. A uh, very interesting story there about, uh, about Jack and Tom. Uh, and how the outcome was perceived afterwards. He, Tom treated Jack and family for for dinner there at the British Open. That that was really funny. Well, growing up at you know growing up at Ohio State, Carlos uh, played golf at Scarlet and Gray, and you know all the the stories, the Jack Nicholas, Tom Weisskopf stories that that are around there, and you know their ghosts uh, uh, that are around the golf course. Uh, there's just some great stories, and, and Tom was much younger than Jack. You know, he was a freshman uh, uh, when Jack was, uh, you know, just getting ready to leave uh, and go out on tour. So they didn't, they didn't weren't there together a lot. But uh, to come back to back like that to a place like Ohio State, um, and they went both went on to have fantastic careers. It's, it's pretty good stuff. But. Uh, yeah, Kenny, I, he's just a, a hoot to talk to. He's, he's a good guy and, and uh, just enjoying life and, and doing what he loves to do. 
Most definitely. And with that, we'll conclude our VIG Very Important Guest of the Week. Now we move to our final pod. Yes, it's customary. Uh, heading into the every new year, the World Golf Foundation has named its new board and chairman for the 2017 year. The foundation has decided to replace outgoing chairman and recently retired PGA Tour Commissioner Tim Finchin with current LPGA Tour Commissioner uh, Mike Wan. For those who are unfamiliar with the World Golf Foundation, it is a nonprofit organization that enhances the, go- the game of golf around the world. Their job is to create initiatives that enhance the growth of the game and create more opportunities to learn the game of golf worldwide. We've had the pleasure of having the, the CEO, Steve Mona, on our show various times. And some of the initiatives that the foundation oversees are the World Golf Hall of Fame, the first tee, and Golf 2020. Uh, it was also instrumental in helping bringing uh, back golf as an official sport in the Olympics. And while one will be leading the foundation into the new year, he will be joined on the foundation's board by several big names, such as PGA of America CEO Pete Pivacqua, USGA Executive Director Mike Davis, New PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, Masters Executive Director Will Jones, European Tour Chief Executive Keith Pelly, and RNA Chief Executive Martin Slumbers. The CEO continues to be Steve Mona. You know, together this group looks to enhance the dream of golf around the world and continue the great work of the World Golf Foundation, which is interesting. Uh, one thing to see what they'll bring, because this group has been evolving and getting younger recently. I remember when we first had Steve Mona on the show about three years ago, Tim Finchin, George O'Grady, Peter Dawson, Billy Payne, and Joe Steranka were members. So five of the seven members have changed during the past three years. So let's see which new directors this group has. Is going to bring is going to be very interesting now led by michael one who really has done an outstanding job with the lpga and finally but not least the journey for bali star golfer hannah o'sullivan will now include a college stop in durham north carolina o'sullivan who is second in the world amateur rankings will be attending duke university this september uh, Sullivan won the 2015 U.S. Women's Amateur title and was going to play at USC. A changing heart left her wanting to pursue her LPGA Tour card. This past October, she left the second stage of LPGA Q School and reopened her recruitment. Now she will be on a Blue Devil team that features the world's top amateur golfer, Leona McGuire, whom we reported earlier would also forego the chance to turn pro. Fred, that is a pretty heady stop for a teenager who just a year ago was attending Hamilton High School in Chandler, Arizona, and now will be playing for a Duke team that will have the world's top two amateur girls there. I say, for now, show them the trophy. That's going to be amazing for them. Yeah, they, uh, they're they loaded. Uh, I don't know how they could not win the, win the NCAA this year. That, that should be pretty interesting. Hey, Carlos, i got a couple of little things here quick uh, to wrap up the show. Uh, Golf Writers Association of America announced their annual Player of the Year awards. Uh, nobody's surprised here. Dustin Johnson, Aria Jutonikon, and Bernhard Lager will receive their awards at the annual GWA dinner on Wednesday evening preceding the Masters. And yet another example of golfers aren't real athletes, Davis Love 
broke his collarbone in three places from a skiing accident in Idaho. So we won't be seeing uh, Davis on the uh, on any tour very soon. And there should be a law, Carlos, that people over 50 and golfers especially should not be on ski slopes. Um, Rory McIlroy hates the phrase "growing the game." I'm beginning to agree with him. I kind of I'm glad he said something. When asked about the Olympics and his non-participation, Rory McIlroy went into went to the offensive and said he was not happy with the position he was put in after golf was admitted into the 2016 Olympics. Media and countrymen lobbied him to grow the game and support the UK or Ireland. He was uncomfortable with that and took exception to the grow the game argument. When uh, Rory said, when it was announced that golf was going to be uh, Olympic sport in 2009, all of a sudden it put me in a position where I had to question who I am. Who am I? Where am I from? Where do my loyalties lie? Who am I going to play for? Who do I want to piss off the most? He just started to resent it, and I do. He resented the Olympic Games. So it was really not a, a hard decision for him not to even go. He said, I hate the term growing the game. Do you ever hear that in other sports, in tennis, in football, let's grow the game? I mean, golf was here long before we were, and it's going to be here long after we're gone. So I don't get that. But I probably went a little bit overboard. So anyhow, Rory was not excited about the Olympics. He just didn't like the position he was put in. It just became a real burden for him. And he does not like the phrase, uh, grow the game. And I, you know what? I, I can understand that. It makes much more sense to me now. Uh, real quickly, this is uh, kind of old news. PGA has tapped Jim Furyk to captain the uh, 2018 Ryder Cup team in France versus Thomas Bjorn. And if you've been waiting for the next best golf movie to come out, the new trailer for Tommy's Honor is making the rounds on social media. It will be coming to the U.S. in April, just after the Masters. I think it's going to be playing on the Golf Channel, Carlos. And that's all I have for January the 10th, 2017. And with that, Rack Niners, we'll wrap up another week of the Rack Niners Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VSG very important guest of the week, Kenny Knox. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you miss it, check it out on iTunes or TuneIn. And if you haven't done so, do it now. Follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back9Report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Fader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Check out Back Night Report on Roku, <laughs> Back Night Report TV. Good night, yes. everybody. Good night.